and welcome to Chinese Revolutions, a podcast about how China came to be the way that it is today, looking at modern Chinese history through the lens of revolutionary movements starting in about 1839. I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years. This podcast is, for me, basically a love letter and a farewell letter to that country. The beginning announcements are that uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you'd please uh, rate and review on all platforms, share with your friends. Uh, if you'd like to support monetarily, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast. If you'd like to get to the show notes, um, you can subscribe at chineserevolutions.substack.com. Please email me at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you think, ideas you have. Okay, on with the show. Uh, we spent the last two episodes looking at what foreigners had built in China you know, for more background information. How foreign involvement in China provided space for important revolutionary figures to carry on. How foreign involvement in China meant that foreigners have toes sticking out. And so then when unrest in China steps on those toes, things happen. So as we go back to the Taiping Rebellion this week, uh, it, you know, we're resuming the narrative how things are changing in China. We're going to see some of those things, like uh, we're going to see a revolutionary who found a bolt hole, a uh, place to hide out in Hong Kong, and later episodes we'll see how foreign intervention becomes important. Uh, we'll see the partial revolution in the Qing dynasty that went with the defeat of the Taiping, that's going to be in future episodes, a key character will be Zhang Guofan. He's a fascinating character. Um, today things are going to be a little bit inter confusing because we'll have some references to Hong Xiuquan, the Taiping leader. Today is mostly about Hong Rengan, his cousin, and today's and the star of today's episode. But then we also have Hong Kong. Please don't make me explain this one. So, uh, today we are drawing mostly from Autumn in the Heavenly Kingdom, China, the West, and the epic story of the Taiping Civil War by Stephen Platt. This is the story of the later Taiping Rebellion, attempts by some Taiping leaders to reach out to Western powers, the initial acceptance but ultimate rejection by Western powers of the Taiping, uh, Chinese reforms that made it possible to defeat the Taiping, and foreign intervention in China, and the historical context for why they intervened in the Taiping Rebellion as opposed to, say, the American Civil War, which was also going on at the time. So today we're reintroducing Hong Run Gan. He was kind of a, just kind of one of the extras previously. He was one of the earliest converts, but he didn't do much. He stepped out of our story pretty quickly. Today we find out where he went, and we find out how he's going to come back into the story. Last we saw him, he went out with Hong Xiuquan on one of his adventures, but for some reason he left the group early uh, at the he, you know, he left the core group in the Taiping movement 
um, because you know, he was too young. We'll get to that in just a moment. He didn't stop believing, but he didn't, and he didn't stop intending to rejoin them. But he couldn't get back for a long time. In late spring 1852, uh, this is where we, where a missionary meets him. Uh, a convert from the countryside brings Hong Rengan to the door of mission, missionary Theodore Hamburg. This is in or near Hong Kong. Hamburg had learned to speak Hakka, the Chinese dialect spoken by the Taiping leaders and a lot of their core followers. He had made efforts to go inland, so he had a network beyond whatever Chinese happened to turn up at foreign settlements. So then when he has a Chinese person he has worked with before who finds this guy who seems to know a lot about the Bible and stuff, he he's in position to bring him straight to uh, the, the missionary. You know, when I was working in China, there were, this is to, you know, illustrate, okay, like big cities and what foreigners get out to, there, there were definite steps from big city to smaller town to villages. And a lot of foreigners just get caught in big cities and never move down to you know, other places. You know, so uh, like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, uh, other cities catch foreigners and they stay there. Like I lived seven years in Beijing. I traveled to other cities, but I, I didn't move anywhere else. Uh, it, you know, sometimes, like if if you're working in one of the much smaller cities, it's uh, like a foreigner from anywhere that isn't China is immediately your best friend. Uh, and the capital of a province, it becomes you know, the big, fairly luxurious city with lots of foreign things, even if it's, you know, Guiyang in Guizhou, which is not one of the most well-traveled provinces. Um, so, you know, the, so the, the tier one cities catch all, catch a lot of the foreigners. Uh, and then, you know, okay, when you get out to rural areas, Okay, no rural area is simply isolated, but their networks uh, might not reach into the big cities. Like, so you'll have people who go from big city to big city, but then you have people who go from village to village, and then they might be centered around a particular big city, but you don't just have you know, people going from... You know, you, you you have overlapping networks, so you know things will be sent from Beijing to you know some big provincial capital, and then the, the, it'll be divvied up and sent to smaller regional cities, and then the the networks down there will carry it out even further. But you don't just have somebody go from the countryside to the capital. I mean, they'll go you know once or twice in their life or something, but you. You are where you are, but you still have a network to other places around you. So this worked out for Hamburg. Uh, the the missionary 
because one of the guys in place who he had worked with, who he had brought over to Christianity, then met this Chinese guy on the run, and then so he could take him right to the missionary, who then is in is in his network. So Hong Rengan turns up, knowing a lot about the basic biblical stories, knowing a lot about Jesus and God the Father and, and all that, without apparent connection to any missionary or any missionary movement that Hamburg was aware of. You know, missionary work involves teaching the correct form of the religion, making sure that it's the right message that gets across. Um, there's a complicated set of ideas based on certain stories and narratives that explain why things are this way and not that way, why the doctrines are what they are. And if you want to teach someone from a very different religious background, there's a lot more work to do. Like, so for example, if I was a Christian talking to a Muslim, well, Muslims already have high regard for people like the Virgin Mary or like John the Baptist. They even like Jesus a lot. It's then about completely changing a lot of their understanding about those figures or that you know the story you have in the Quran it's actually the way it is in the Bible there's there's a lot of overlap where you know it's it's not so hard to explain that you should revere this person. It's maybe a change in reason why you should revere this person. Well, China is totally outside that. And so, you know, you, you have to give them everything from the beginning. And so then Hong Rangan turns up and he knows a lot about the Bible. But if somebody shows up knowing a lot about your scriptures and your doctrines, you have to look into it. Like, is someone else at work in your area? Is this person a potential teammate, or is this a potential adversary? Like, is this 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 person who turns up knowing a lot about the Bible? Is this a member of a heretical group or a cult, uh, or is this missionary literature? that's being effectively circulated. Like, yeah, okay, if you can't go somewhere physically, uh, you, maybe you can send in books that'll make the rounds. So, you know, what's what's going on here? Well, Hong Ren Gan tells Hamburg the story of what's been going on. And so this line from Autumn in the Heavenly Kingdom, he spoke of visions and battles, armies and congregations of believers, a heavenly prophet from among the Hakas. Okay, this is interesting. He spoke of being on the run from Qing agents, and he lived in disguise and under a false name. He had been kidnapped and escaped, and he lived in a forest for a few days and in a cave for a few days, and then he made it down to to Hong Kong that was not under Qing jurisdiction, so you could be safe there. And what happened next, you know, which is not a lot, Hong Rangan wrote it all down and then left, like before he could be baptized or whatever else. So Hamburg filed it in his desk and forgot about it for the, about the next year. 
And spring 1853 rolls around, and the bloody conquest of Nanjing comes up in the news. My goodness, uh, maybe this guy might have known something about that. And substantial portions of the answers to foreign wonderment as to what was going on in the Chinese interior were sitting in Hamburg's desk, unknown to the foreign community. Fall 1853, Hongren Gan turns up again. And so he finally gets baptized in the uh, you know foreign missionary way, not whatever the Taiping had come up with for their own initiation rituals. September 1853, uh, like he, you know, so he, he finally, you know, he finally is brought into, you know, conventional Christianity. And, you know, so he finished whatever unfinished business there was from when he just suddenly left the previous year. And Hamburg began teaching Hong Run Gan Lutheran doctrine and trained him to assist foreign preachers and sent him to, you know, and you know, prepared to send him to take correct doctrine to the Taiping. And all of this while taking down the extra details of the story that Hong Rengan had shared when he first visited. And so this will be a review for us, because of course we've followed a lot of the details of the beginning of the Taiping movement. Some of this is known to Hong Rengan only through you know, through the grapevine, because he got cut off early, you know, so he had to stay back. Okay, so uh, you'll hear of that in just a moment here. You know, and so, of course, you all remember Hong Xichuan, Hong Rengan's cousin, nine years older. You know, their family had been great in the days of the Song Dynasty. They were poor farmers now, but they still valued education. Uh, the story, uh, so he told the story of Hong Xichuan's educational attainments, and his failure to pass the civil service examinations. And so in the last attempt, he had something like a nervous breakdown when he gets home in rural Guangdong, goes to sleep, wakes up, you know, talking about visions. And so in the beginning, the mission is you know, true worship of God is falling away on earth, false doctrines are leading the Chinese people astray. And someone in the visions is Hong Xichuan's elder brother, and, you know, Hong Xichuan wakes up and he's jumping around his room shouting, Kill the demons! And eventually there's this rediscovery of a tract given in Guangdong years before when, you know, he's down there for the civil service examination and this unlocks the visions and their apparent meaning. And so Hong Xichuan changes. He becomes more confident uh, and he seemed more intelligent. If you ever study uh, shamanic societies like sometimes you you'll have somebody who just has a terrible life they're insane or something like that but then when they become a shaman they seem a lot more balanced and a lot more wise and a lot more at ease in their own skin so maybe that's what happened for hong Xichuan. Um and so there's the story of his first trouble from taking down confucius tablets and and criticizing idols his it's the story of his first converts, Feng Yunshan and Hong Rengan, but Hong was but Hong Rengan was forced to stay in his own community because he was so young. He had to work as a teacher. He had to leave the Confucius tablets up in his classroom because it was the done thing. But even though he was forced to stay behind and 
work as a teacher, he managed 40 or 50 Taiping baptisms. So he's still making converts. When Hong Xichuan turned up again uh, back in 1845, now it's about replacing the Qing, not just about this religion. In 1847, there's more open destruction of idols and temples. In 1849, more activity, speaking in tongues in some of these rural congregations that the uh, Taiping movement had been setting up, and Hong Xuchuan was more and more looked to as the, the guy who would sort out what's true doctrine and what's false. In 1850, there was a you know, pestilence in the area, and huge numbers of converts became, joined the Taiping movement because the Taiping god could help. In late 1850, open conflict between the Hakas and local Chinese who had lived there for longer it meant that a lot of the Hakas turned to the Taiping, who were, a lot of them were Hakas, they turned to the Taiping for protection. So military conflict is taking off. 1851, declaration of the heavenly kingdom of the Taiping, war through central China, but of course, Hongrengan was too late to turn up with them at the right time, and he's on the run from imperial forces catching stragglers. So even though the uh, the party of destruction uh, got going, and they, you know, everybody else trying to bring chips and dip is getting caught by the police on the way in, and so Hamburg published it in. Hong Kong and Shanghai is published as the visions of Hong Xuquan, and in London as the Chinese rebel chief. And this was pretty much propaganda to show it's Christians who are rising up against the Qing. Uh, Hamburg gave money and gifts to Hong Rangan uh, and his two friends uh, to go to Shanghai and hopefully link back up with the Taiping Nanjing, which was the Taiping capital at this point, is not that far from Shanghai. And the gifts included books like proper Bible translations by, you know, by conventional Christians, maps of the world, other scholarly things like like history books, and scientific instruments, a telescope, thermometer, compass. And of course, Hamburg is hoping to become the one to bring the Taiping into more Orthodox Protestant doctrines. Uh, so that's so. There was the story of Hong Rangan, but now he's in Hong. He, but he's in Hong Kong, and so what's he going to do there? Well, he. Well, first he got up to Shanghai with money from Hamburg, uh, but he had difficulty with missionary hosts. And he wasn't trusted by the Chinese secret society in the Chinese part of Shanghai. Um, even though they were sympathetic to the Taiping, they didn't believe that Hong Rangan was connected to Hong Xuquan. And he studied astronomy and mathematics at a missionary school in Shanghai, but eventually he went back to Hong Kong in 1855. And when he got there, Theodore Hamburg had died. So here he is back in Hong Kong, and... Well, his connection to Theodore Hamburg wasn't for nothing. So his past relationship with Hamburg uh, helped him gain acceptance with other missionaries. Like so, he's 
You know, he was connected to somebody they all knew. He was connected to an Orthodox Protestant thing. And so he got a job as a catechist and a preacher's assistant for the London Missionary Society. And Hong Rangan was friendly and, per and personable, and so this helped him get even further acceptance. If you're just nice to hang out with, it's, it's easy to, to take you on as another friend. He worked closely with missionary James Legg. James Legg is a huge name in missionary history down there. He became a revered Sinologist. He translated many works of Chinese literature into English. And so Hong Rangan worked with Leg on translations of Confucian works into English. And you know, so if you read a you know, like one of the open domain in the open domain, public domain, public domain. If you read one of the public domain translations of like say the works of Confucius, you might be reading something that the star of today's episode had a hand in. And so Hong Rangan preached with Leg. Uh, Leg would preach in Cantonese. Hong would go over in Hakka, and he would be following Leg's Calvinist doctrines. Uh, Leg didn't really run over with affection for just anyone, but he was openly praising Hong Rangan. They really hit it off. Uh, meanwhile, back in the mainland, the Qing were setting up purges of Taiping supporters and sympathizers, including family of members of the Taiping. And you know, they even, like one really grisly detail, there were suicide stations. So you'd have you know, knives and ropes to kill yourself, and there'd be signs, you'd better do it yourself Why? and it, you know, make it quick before we get to you and do it ourselves. Like, like, this is how grisly the Qing suppression of the Taiping was. Thousands upon thousands were beheaded or tied together and drowned in rivers and, and other things. And, you know, the corpses piled up and accounts told of the stench of the blood and the rotting corpses. And it, it was, you know, like... And so many Chinese ran away to Hong Kong because either they were escaping persecution by the Chi by the Qing authorities, um, you know, if they had any connection whatsoever to the Taiping, like they they don't want to die for what somebody else did, so they're running away to the to British Hong Kong or other foreign settlements, and you know, Chinese businessmen were you know looking for more stable trading environments uh, because. You know, because if you're a businessman, you don't want to be in a place where there's unrest. You you want to be in a place where it's safe to make money. And so this boosted the Chinese business and cultural life of Hong Kong. Uh, but this was, you know, but but on the other side, okay. So so the foreigners are seeing all this. So some of them, some of the missionaries are excited to get all the new potential converts. Because they can, they get all these people from the interior of China coming to them there at Hong Kong where they could freely do what they did. But it's very bad PR for the Qing. Um, however bad the Taiping may have been, the executions and, and the, you know, just all the killing was really nasty. And so the, the Qing just looked really bad to the foreigners. 
So, you know, so here's some more about Hongren Gan's stay in Hong Kong. You know, James Legg didn't consider the Taiping to be Christians. He encouraged Hongren Gan to put to put the Taiping behind him and focus on his work in Hong Kong. So he was visiting prisoners in jail, preaching in the hospital, traveling with Legg when they would go on a he would go on a preaching tour. Uh, Hong Rengan would teach at the college, uh, teaching about Chinese history and literature. He helped with translations. He was uh, helping with interpretations of classical Chinese texts, texts for foreign translators. And while he's there, he also he's also learning a lot about foreigners and their cultures, you know, politics, economics, science, medicine, government administration, military science. He learned how Hong Kong, a British colony, worked. You know, but then when the crowds came in from China, they knew who some of them would know who Hong Rengan was. They'd ask him about the Taiping movement, you know, whether he'd take them to Nanjing to join the Taiping. You know, and missionaries thought, you know, this could be the guy who they could send in to straighten out the Taiping, make them really Christian. And Hong Rengan finally does make it to Nanjing. In spring eighteen fifty eight, when James Legg is out on home leave, uh, some other missionaries uh, give Hong Rengan money to go back, and this was kept secret from James Legg. And Hong Rengan went in disguise alone 700 miles or 1,125 kilometers to Nanjing. And so we're going to hang it up there for this episode. We'll deal with how it is when he gets to Nanjing. Um, we're going to talk about revolution in a, kind of a bigger picture sense here. Every revolution in one nation, uh, everyone that succeeds, it happens in an international context. The the Taiping Rebellion in the you know, happened in the context of colonial empires laying lots of the world low, subjecting them to foreign domination, and so of course. Native movements are going to have to reckon with this phenomenon, and they're going to have to figure out their their place in the new world that has been revealed to them. So the the French Revolution, which was you know successful in changing a lot of the French philosophy and religion and politics, it imbibed you know much of the same stuff that was fueling the American Revolution. Actually, they sent it over to the um, to, to the Americans, and they, you know, like like a lot of the Enlightenment philosophy, that's what helped the American founding fathers organize their stuff. But then they reimport revolution back in France because many of the ideals of the uh, French Revolution were similar to those of the American Revolution. A guy named Thomas Paine who had been big for the American Revolution, he was over. He was there for the French Revolution as well. So, so it's not just happening in one place. Wars of Independence in Spanish America and the Haitian Revolution happened 20 to 30 years after the American Revolution. So America is kind of the big brother for a lot of these other revolutions. Uh, Francisco de Miranda uh, knew a lot of the figures of the American Revolution, and he was big for Venezuela. The Russian Communist Party was 
there were revolutionaries in a European uh, stratum of revolutionaries. They thought Europe would go red and help them out. So they like they were looking at stuff happening in Germany. They thought that you know, okay, yeah, we got it going here in Russia, but now now we're waiting for Germany and France to catch up, and then we'll be one big happy communist family. And further communist revolutions, like like the Chinese Revolution, and you know, happening in Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and uh, other you know other Marxist movements. It, it, it was happening in a greater world scene. You know, you also had support from the USSR, and it, um, so then when we look at uh, when we look at the Taiping Rebellion, I, I think that what you what I think we can see is that a revolution needs to be either really national or really based on certain external international ideals for it to really get somewhere. So like in, in Chinese history, you know, you'll have a one dynasty replace another and, but, you know, they'll take up kind of a, you know, the Chinese mantle of, you know, legitimacy, but the Taiping will fall short because they're not quite Chinese enough to convert support from you know, Confucian scholars supporting the Qing, but they're also not Christian enough for foreign powers to really support them, and they're insufficiently radical to throw out the dynastic system altogether and have a really new thing to be trying out. You know, so they didn't really go all the way that way. They kind of were a half Chinese dynasty, and they were insufficiently international to get foreign help, you know, to be grounded in at least something other than the founder's vision. And some of the revolutions we're going to see coming up, you know, as as we get on to other revolutions, they'll overthrow the Qing and install a republic, so that'll be revolutionary. Uh, they'll have ideological support from outside nations. And, you know, then there's the question of internal enemies. The Taiping never succeed in deposing the Qing. You know, internal enemies will be the undoing of one or another inter uh, one or another later revolutions, but we won't spoil that just yet. Hong Rangan is a possible missed opportunity. I can't imagine how someone could spend years practicing a religion in a leadership capacity, no less, and not be able to consciously choose what he's going to do. But you know, perhaps he wasn't the scheming sort that he would be able to remove Hong Xiuquan and try to force the acceptance of conventional Christianity among the Taiping. But in the end, no matter what he might have wished, Hong Xiuquan dug more and more into his own thing, his own specialness, his own authority. Like, if you want to have a good emperor, like, he has to be fighting for the people. He has to be fighting for the nation, even if it is, on, even if it is only about him and his power. He has to take a cause that's something other than him. But the problem with Hong Xiuquan is that it's it's him and his visions. It's not like some Taoist prophet came down and said, like, you know, you're, you know, yeah, you're it. You know, like if it was Taoist or Buddhist, like, like Chinese already believe in that. But you you have this weird quasi-Christian thing. 
so that even though you might get people excited, you might get converts enough to fight for you to establish a successful dynasty that's going to last over a number of generations, I don't think they're going to make it. Like, I don't think the Taiping had what it would have taken. Um, and you, you can have an enormous false construct, like a, like a system based on things that aren't true, that is nevertheless real enough to get results to take you a certain way. So the, the Taiping movement, like, yeah, they, they started a successful insurgency that they, they went ahead and captured cities, captured the city of Nanjing, but their, their regime is not going to last past the first ruler. Like, once he dies, that's pretty much it. So, here we have Hongran Gan, the bridge between foreigners and the Chinese, uh, and he's, he's going to play a pivotal role in connections between foreign emissaries and the Taiping, but he's kind of a missed opportunity. That is today's episode, and so if you'd like to support the podcast, please rate and review on all platforms. Please share with your friends. If you'd like to support monetarily, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast. If you'd like to get show notes or other interesting things, please go to chineserevolutions.substack.com. And if there are certain things you'd like to see show up in the substack, please email me at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. And again, I am Nathan Bennett. I am your host, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.